You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. Well, as we wrap this up, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you this question. How many of you would say that if you had a little more money, that would make life easier? Let me see your hands. If you had a little more money, don't be ashamed. Some of you are like, yeah, okay. Yeah, put it up there. Okay, those of you that didn't raise your hand, let me up the ante, okay? If I gave you $10,000 right now, and that's not going to happen, but hypothetically, if I did, okay, if I did... Would that make your life better? Would it make life easier if I gave you 10000 How many would say that that was the case, right? It, it, it is factual that when people are asked, almost everybody says a little more money would make life better. Now, when I was first starting out in ministry, I started out South and Christian on the uh, other end of town. And uh, <clears throat> I was a young minister on the staff there. Every year at Christmas, there was a guy who would give us $100 as a Christmas gift. Um, Real generous guy, really nice. And one of the guys who'd been there longer than I had, he's actually still there, he would would do this, just mess with the the new guys on the ministry team. He would say, hey, isn't it great that Bill gave us $500? And he'd be looking at the check, just like, you know, the rest of us. And and the new guys are like, I only got 100 And then someone else would say, you only got 500 I got 750 you know? And then someone would say, I got 1000 And then, you know, then it starts breaking down when an intern goes, I got 10000 You know, no one believes that an intern's going to get anything. So, <clears throat> so then the, the new guy, he's feeling bad. And then all of a sudden he realizes, he's, you know, it's, we're just joking and we all have a good laugh. But the thing about it is that all of us recognize that if we had a little bit more, we really believe that life would be better. And it's kind of troubling when you think everybody's getting something, but you're not getting as much as everybody else, right? Like the new guy looking at his $100 check going, I'm getting jobbed right here. This is not fair, right? Well, today what I want to do is I want to to do what we've done throughout this whole series, and that's to show you how to train wreck a key area in your life. And when we talk about train, talking about actually train wrecking your life, we're doing it here in the context of our church family. <clears throat> and I think that when we do it this way, the, the kind of the behavior actually becomes more obvious. We see it. We're not as easily deceived. When we look at it this way, we actually can see how we live and how we behave. And often we can actually recognize that we may be on rails headed for a train wreck ourselves. As we see it, and we see it clearly, I believe then these godly insights that we talk about actually uh, will resonate even deeper with us. So this morning, what I want us to do is start with a passage of Scripture first. We'll get to train wrecking your life in just a minute. But in 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, Paul writes to his protege, Timothy, starting with verse 6, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. In other words, what Paul is saying is that you came into this world with nothing. You started with zero. And you're going to leave this world taking nothing with you. 
And he's talking about everything that happens in between those two poles of your life, those two kind of landmark moments of your life. And he's talking about contentment in there. He's talking about contentment. One thing that reveals our lack of contentment is what is called first world problems. I don't know if you're familiar with that phrase, but first world problems are problems that wealthy industrialized nations actually have. The rest of the world kind of looks at those problems and rolls their eyes because they're not problems where they live. I'll give you a few examples of first world problems. The first one is this, my closet is full of clothes and I have nothing to wear. Just say with me, first world problem, right? The next one, getting stuck in my garage because the power went off. First world problem, right? The barista put whole, whole milk in my caramel macchiato, but I manned up and drank it anyway. First world problem. I love this one. Slow traffic in the left lane. Can I get an amen on that one? Yeah? Hey, if that's you, just quit driving. You don't know what you're doing. All right? You should move over or stop. Okay? The credit card chip reader takes twice as long as swiping. How many of you have felt that way? Right? You're sitting there going, holy cow. What am I? I just wasted five seconds. Right? All right. It takes four gallons of water down the drain before the water is hot enough to take a shower. You know that's true. You know that's true. Having to wait five minutes for my $150 Kroger click list online order to be delivered to my car and loaded in my trunk. I don't even know what that means. But a lady texted, she said on uh, Facebook, that's a first world problem. And so I take it. The restaurant didn't have Coke, so I ordered, had to order Pepsi. Oh, bless your heart. Bless your heart. This is my favorite one. My mom packed jalapeno-flavored chips for lunch today. I don't like jalapeno-flavored chips. I'm 33 years old. She should know this by now. <laughs> Love that. And then, the, the, and then the last one is Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. Have you ever driven there on Sunday and went, oh, yeah, they're not open today, right? I actually have done that. Okay, if, if we have food and clothing, the Apostle Paul says, then we should be content. But... But let's be honest, most people that you and I know, and we probably should include ourselves in this at times, have the basic necessities here in America, but very few of us would register ourselves as being totally content. And why is that? Because we believe that a little more will make us happy. For example, how much money do you think you need to earn in order to be satisfied, to be content? Do you know? How much money do you need to earn in order to be happy? Well, the Gallup people did some research, and this is what they came up with. They found that if you earn $30,000 or less, on average, you say, if I made $74,000, I'd be happy. And if you make $50,000 or around there a year, you're you're more expensive. You think you have to earn $100,000, and that would be enough, and you would be happy. Someone asked the multi-billionaire, John D. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And this is what he said, one dollar more than I have. And he's a billionaire. One dollar more than I have. How much do we need to be satisfied? How much do we need to be happy? Well, generally the answer is just a little bit more than we have. Just a little bit more. Well, Jesus told a parable that addresses this topic, and I want us to look at it. It's in Luke, the 12th chapter. 
And he says this, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, what he's saying is this. When I get all this stuff together and i got a place to store it, then I'm going to be happy. Then I've got a reserve that's sufficient to satisfy all that I want. And I can eat, drink, and be merry. Which is how a lot of us actually think. I mean, if we're honest about it, that's how we think. And it's not just financial dissatisfaction that gets kind of our attention, gets our attention some of the time. It's also things like, if I could lose 20 pounds, then I'd be happy. Or some of you, if I could gain 20 pounds. I don't even know how that even is possible. I mean, <laughs> that's not a problem in this, in this department over here. Some of us think, if I could have a better job, any job that has benefits or insurance, then I'd be satisfied, I'd be content. Some of us think, if I could just get married, and then I'll be satisfied. Or if I could just have kids, and then we'll be, we'll be happy. Or if we could get the kids out of diapers, you know, and then we can finally live again, right? Or if, if we could just get the kids out of the house, right? Get them off to college, then we'll be happy. And then, then we can get them out of the house again because they came home from college thinking they still live here, right? And then we could be content, we could be happy. Look what, look what Jesus says at the end of this parable. He says, but God said to him, that's the rich man, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. It's interesting that a lot of us think more things will make us happy. They'll make us content. More things of this world will give us true meaning to our life. The result of that life is that we are not pursuing the riches that come from God. So here's the warning I want to issue to you. I'm about to get very sarcastic, as I have through these other messages. In order to make a point Please don't be offended. We'll redeem it at the end. All right? If you find your life is going great and you want to be miserable, if you you want to show that you are uh, clearly dissatisfied, then I want to give you a couple of things to do in order to achieve that. All right? I'm going to give you what I call four pavers that will lead you to dissatisfaction. You with me? All right. The first, very sarcastic, just hang with me. The very first one, focus on being ungrateful. Focus on being ungrateful. In 1 Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, starting with verse 16, Paul says this to the church there in Thessalonica. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. If you want to be dissatisfied, don't do what Paul is suggesting here. All right? If you want to be dissatisfied, instead, what you should do is complain in all circumstances. Find fault everywhere you go. Promote a genuine spirit of ingratitude. When someone else is blessed, 
You just want to tell yourself that you are way better deserving of a blessing than that person. Be jealous of them, critical of them, and envious of them. If they get a nice car, talk about how it'll probably break down. Or they spent way too much on the price they paid for it. Or if they get a raise, just talk about how you're more deserving of getting a raise than that person was. If they get married and you're not married, just trash talk the person they got married to. Just put them down. I promise you, that'll make you feel so much better for a little while anyway resent God's goodness in other people's lives even take it for granted or ignore the goodness that you have in your own life don't be grateful for what you have don't be thankful for your health or your family or your friends or any other blessings that you might have focus on being ungrateful if you want to train wreck your contentment okay the second paver that leads to discontentment is compare what you have with people who have more Compare what you have with people who have more. Look at Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verse 12. He says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. They're not wise. If you want to be dissatisfied, ignore that. And instead, compare yourself with those who have way more than you. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. If you like your house, you should just binge watch HGTV, and after a while, you're going to hate that pathetic shack you're living in, okay? <laughs> I promise you. Compare everything in your life, salaries, marriages, jobs, even compare your own physical body with the models, both men and women, on the cover of those magazines that you see at the checkout, at the, uh, at the grocery checkout. Yeah, you know the people I'm talking about. Those people are airbrushed. They haven't eaten since 2012. Compare yourself to them, right? And you'll feel lousy about yourself because you don't have the capacity to airbrush, okay? You just don't. Compare what you have with people who have way more. The third paver is this. Pursue temporary stuff over eternal treasures. Pursue temporary stuff over eternal treasures. Jesus said this in Luke, the 12th chapter, verse 15. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Do you hear that? Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. If you want to train wreck your contentment, don't listen to what Jesus is saying here. We all know that you have, what you have that's important to you is what you have right now. Not stuff in the future. You are what you drive. You are what you wear. Listen, about, life is all about stuff. Don't be concerned about eternity. Don't worry about making a difference. You want to focus on the things that matter right now. So be self-centered. Don't ever settle for eternal blessings. That'll happen later. But right now, focus on just what you can get right now. And don't settle for that. Think short term. Think focused on the moment. Just tell yourself again and again, more is better. More is always better. So if you want to be dissatisfied, the fourth paver is this one. Develop an attitude of entitlement. Develop an attitude of entitlement. In Romans, the sixth chapter, verse 23, the Apostle Paul gives us his short little verse. He says, for the wages of sin is death. That's just part of the verse. The wages of sin is death. Kind of harsh, isn't it? He's saying that all of us deserve death. But if you're really going to train wreck your contentment, you've got to recognize that there's a whole lot more that you're deserving. Not just death, you're deserving of a lot of stuff. 
For instance, you deserve new clothes and new shoes to go with those new clothes, right? You deserve a new car and the latest iPhone or Android, whichever system you like. And you deserve a half gallon, not a pint, but a half gallon of Grater's ice cream. I prefer black cherry chocolate chip. That's just how I roll in that department. And I deserve a gallon, a gallon, not a half gallon or a pint. You deserve a half gallon, okay? I'm just calling it the way I see it. That's how we should do this. Live with an attitude of entitlement. What do you deserve? Complain if your car doesn't get the gas mileage that you feel like it should get, that they promised that it would get. Complain and gripe when the Wi-Fi is too slow. Some of you are whining about it already this morning. All right? Get an attitude of entitlement. All right? Okay, time out. Let's stop. Everybody take a deep breath again right? Exhale. Good. Right. Some, some people may wonder if this is hard to talk like this. The answer is yes. It's counterintuitive. In fact, a couple weeks when we, ago when we did the message on marriage, how to train wreck your marriage, I was sitting in my office on, I think it was Monday, and I was sitting there going, man, this is so weird to say this stuff. But I hope that when we do it this way, kind of put a little bit of humor and sarcasm into this, in the context of our church family, that you'll actually see the mindset and behavior that can truly train wreck your life. Obviously, I'm not advocating that you do these things. In fact, if you need to, you might want to just put a big X on your notes up to this point. Contentment. Why, would you, why wouldn't you agree a lot of the times, as so many of us do, that we're dissatisfied. Do you ever feel that you're actually discontented? Probably all of us do. We're all guilty of first world problems, aren't we? We compare all day long ourselves with others. We're focused on what we don't have instead of focusing on what we do have. And if we're honest, we're incredibly ungrateful some of the time, maybe most of the time. Most people hearing this message right now live in an incredibly blessed part of the world, whether you're here live or you're going to listen to it later online, and yet we still want more. We still want more. So here's what I want to do in the remaining minutes that we have in this message. I want to focus on a key idea, a key idea that not only focuses in on this message, but will tie all four of the talks in this series together. And that key idea is this. How we live reveals what we believe. How we live reveals what we believe. In other words, don't tell me what you believe, show me. Your actions usually will show what you truly believe in the core of your life. If the way we live could actually speak, then the message of many people's lives would be this. What Christ offers is not as good as what this world offers. What Christ offers is not as good as what this world offers. Think about week one when we talked about how to train wreck your relationship with God, how you can so easily drift from Him. If God is the source of life, if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, if the Holy Spirit is indwelling with us all the time, yet we see these shiny little temptations and we start to chase after them. Things that that we start thinking will satisfy our deepest needs, and yet what happens is they fail to do that, and we find ourselves drifting away from God. 
Our actions are basically saying what Christ offers is not as good as what God, what the world offers, excuse me, what the world offers. Week two, we talked about how to train wreck your marriage. And we talked about on that, on your wedding day, you are standing before God, promising to be faithful to your spouse, but something outside of God's plan comes along, and that could easily make you feel as though, hey, this will feel good for the moment. Not forever, but for the moment. And again, our behavior is essentially saying what Christ offers is not as good as what the world offers. And then last week, Todd talked about addictions and how they hold us in bondage and they, they shackle us and they, they, they restrict us from experiencing the relationship with God that, that we were called to do. And he shows how easily it is you can train wreck your life through addiction. And we know that God offers peace. That God's the answer for our anxiety and our worries. God's the source of everything that we need. But suddenly something in, the, in a bottle makes a promise. If you drink me, you'll be able to relax. It'll take the edge off. And numerous obsessive behaviors make similar promises. And yet they never, ever deliver. And our behaviors say what Christ offers is not as good as what the world offers. That's what our lives oftentimes are saying. Today we've been looking at how easy it is to be discontented or dissatisfied. Jesus is what matters, and yet the way we live says that if I have that new car, or I get that new spouse, or if I get that new gadget, or new toy, or new house, or whatever, then I'll be satisfied. When we believe that strategy for life, when we believe that philosophy for life, we are a train wreck waiting to happen in the area of our contentment. Because you're never going to be satisfied. Never. Now there are two quotes that I want to share with you. I thought spoke into this thing. A specific aspect of the truth. And I want to share. I don't know who to give credit to. I don't know who originally said these. But they're great quotes. Gratitude turns what we have into enough. Gratitude turns what we have into enough. And now say this one with me, okay? It's not happy people who are grateful. But it's grateful people who are happy. There's the idea of gratitude that both of these quotes kind of address. And the Apostle Paul explains how these, these two statements are actually true in Philippians, the third chapter, starting with verse 7. This is what he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul's saying that the way I live before is different. If you know much about the Apostle Paul before his conversion to Christ, he was all into titles and accomplishment, accomplishments. He was all about who he was and his status. But that was no longer true. You see, what he used to consider important, all those things now are actually considered a loss by him because the closer he got to eternity the more important stuff seemed to present itself, make itself known. It became more obvious to him. He goes on in verse 8 and he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. That's, he's talking about being grateful. And then he says this, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. 
Paul's saying, consider all those other things and recognize as he's looking at his life, he says, they're worthless to me because of the overwhelming value of knowing Jesus Christ. This is so vitally important that you truly know Jesus. Not just knowing about Jesus, but when you know him, you have this personal connection with him. And the Holy Spirit leads you and his word guides you and his presence empowers you. And you're not doing life on your own anymore. Listen, when you realize that you're not living for the temporary pleasures of this world, instead you're living for what will last for eternity, that's a game changer. That is a game changer. You look at people and you realize that they matter a whole lot more than things do anymore. You look at what you have and you say, how can I use this? How can I use it for what will make a difference in this world? How can I use the influence that I have that I might influence others to know that God loves them and all that he's done for them? You can actually know Jesus personally. You can. Do you realize that? You can know him personally. Look what Jesus said in John 17, verse 3. He said, now this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He said, now this is eternal life, to know Jesus, to know God and Jesus. You can know him. Jesus is saying that you can know God, you can know Jesus, you can know them personally. And that's why the Bible matters so much to us. Because he reveals who he is through the power of his word. When you read the Word of God each day, then your mind moves from the things of this world to the things of God. And that changes our focus. Suddenly you're not distracted by those shiny temptations that come our way that promise satisfaction but never deliver. Instead, we consider everything a loss. All of those things are considered worthless compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus And then it's kind of interesting because Paul makes a very distinct point at the very end of verse 3. He uses this phrase. He says, I consider them garbage. All that stuff, he says, I consider it garbage that I may gain Christ. Now what's interesting is this word garbage right here. That's the Greek word skubalon. Say that with me. Skubalon. Say it one more time. Skubalon. Do you know what you're saying? The literal word that Paul is using here, the American translators kind of dressed it up a little bit. But the word that he's using there is, the, the best way to tell you in church is dung or human excrement. Human waste. I didn't mean to say excrement, sorry. That's the best I can do with that. Paul's saying that all of this, all of this, All that I considered before, all that I thought really mattered in my life, I consider it in the context the same way I consider dung, human waste. He said, because all that stuff gets in the way of knowing Jesus, and I want to know him more. I want to gain Christ. See, some of you came in here this morning thinking that Jesus is enough, and you were wrong. Jesus is way more than enough. He's everything. He's eternal. 
the way we live often communicates that we believe that Jesus, what he offers, isn't enough. Because the way we live says that if I had a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that, then I'd be satisfied. But the only thing that brings true, eternal satisfaction and contentment is more of Jesus. I pray, and I've been praying this weekend, that some of you will have a spiritual breakthrough. That you can get off the treadmill of chasing after all of this stuff and all more and more of these things. Trying to find value and meaning in that. And just like Paul had, I pray for a breakthrough for you. Paul said, I consider all this stuff worthless compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus for whom I've lost all things. And Paul had. He'd lost everything. I consider all this other stuff, you know, human waste compared to what the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus is. Because... Jesus is not just enough. He is more than enough. He's all that you will ever need. So why not, why not put your hand in his? Why not put all this other stuff aside and just focus on him and help others to focus on him? He is more than enough. He's everything. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your presence here this morning. I thank you for the reminder that your word says that you never leave us or forsake us. You always are with us. You stick closer than a brother. Even to the very end of the age, you'll be with us. Lord, thank you for being right here in our midst. And I pray, God, that you would, as a result of people hearing from you today, that you would give us a spirit of deep contentment and gratitude in all of our hearts. Help us to take our eyes off all these other things and just focus on you. Many of us would say that if we were honest, we're not, we're not contented. We're not satisfied. We find ourselves comparing ourselves to other people. We feel about, bad about who we are. And many of us, if we were truthful, we'd say we thought we'd be further ahead in life than we are right now, that we'd be more important more important than we'd have accumulated more wealth and more material possessions. Jesus, please help meet the needs in every one of us. Help us to see that you're more than enough. We don't need all that stuff. Lord, I thank you for what you're saying to so many people this morning. And I confess in my own life, and I've been, there have been times when I've wanted uh, more stuff. I wanted more worldly possessions, pursuing those things that just don't last forever and at the, at the sacrifice of things that do last forever. Lord, I pray that in your presence, your Holy Spirit will minister to us in a deep and powerful way today. God, I pray people will know that you're not just enough or more than enough. Lord, I pray for a spiritual breakthrough in all of our hearts that we would recognize that. Increase our passion for you, our desire to pursue you. Increase our, our desire to know you. May we be found full of your goodness, overflowing with your love and sharing it with others every single day. Lord, I know all of us in this place have messed up in different ways, some a whole lot more than others, but we've all, messed, been, we've all made a mess of our lives at one time or another, and we've had all these mistakes. We fall short time and time again. 
And some may even be here thinking that they got to get their act together before they can ever come to you. The reality is we can come to you just exactly as we are. If that's you, I just pray you'll reach out to Jesus today and say, I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I'm on this treadmill chasing after all this stuff and it's not bringing satisfaction and I've made so many mistakes. I just need your forgiveness, Lord. Because you need to know that God loves you and he sent Jesus to do for you what you could not do for yourself. So I pray, God, that you will give them courage today to reach out to you and start this journey with you. God, thank you for being enough, more and more and more enough than we will ever, ever need. God, we're grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you uh, had the courage to take that first step and call out to the Lord, we'd love to know about that. We'd love to talk to you about that and tell you what the next step is in that journey. We'd love to share that with you. And if, uh, if you would, we're going to sing in just a moment. You just come and grab one of us down front and say, hey, I'm, I'm taking steps now to make Jesus Lord of my life. What do I need to do? Or maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. We'd love to do that. We're going to do that um, anytime during this next song if you, if you have a desire. Let's stand together and worship. Will you come if you have a need?